<laughs> hey now, what up though? It's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon. And what Patreon is, it's going to help you the JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right, looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month for $5 per episode, I'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes that's right jsc exclusives you'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else for ten dollars or more per episode now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show you got a business you want me to talk about it i want you to sponsor my show for ten dollars hit me up send me the script i'm putting you over plus you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Don't you think we would like to just talk about sports? We're not robots. We're not going to sit here and act like this ain't happening. But it's never been that way. Politics have been a part of sports. The news has been a part of sports. Social issues have been a part of sports for as long as we've been covering them. Whether it's Jackie Robinson and and Larry Doby, the first two black players into Major League Baseball, all the way through, like I mentioned, John Carlos and Tommy Smith, all the way up to, of course, the last 15 years. Strange, you don't want politics interjected in sports, but why the hell is it that there are baseball stadiums that still sing God Bless America? Huh? Want to explain that to me? Why is it that you don't want politics interjected into sports, but yet the NFL is out here having full-on army parades and military parades starting off games? It gets realer. But you think we want to deal with this? I would much rather go cover a game and not have to deal with the idea that one of these players could get a gun stuck in his face by a cop for simply standing in the wrong place. Or if we witness what's going on in front of us in this country, that we're expected to keep our mouths shut in the guise of, dare I say, objectivity. Objectively speaking, this country is at one of its worst racial points since the 1960s. And simply sticking our head in the sand and acting like it's not happening and sticking to sports, stick to sports. That's, that's asinine. And it's absurd because it's odd that you don't seem to want to tell Jason Whitlock to stick to sports, do you? You're not in a big rush to tell Clay Travis to stick to sports. You're not really trying to tell Sage Steele to stick to sports, are you? You're not because they're spitting out what you want to hear. They're giving you that, that, that ether that make your soul burn slow. You seek to get a pound of flesh out of someone 
who basically says something that you don't like. Especially when they say something that you don't like that's demonstrably true. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Hey now. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. What's happening? How the hell is everyone doing? Again, my name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of JSC Radio for 2017. Want to thank each and every one of you who've been listening all year long. Hell, those of you who listened last year to the show in 2016 when we got this thing started, I want, of course, let you know that if you want to follow the show, you can simply get on Twitter and follow at JSC Radio. I am on Twitter at Jay Scott Smith. Of course, I'm verified. And you can also get at me on Instagram at J. Scott Smith. I'm on Facebook at Real J. Scott Smith. And, of course, you can hear the show anywhere. You're probably listening to it right now on iTunes. If you are, thank you. Damn it, thank you. All you got to do is hit the subscribe button, and you don't have to do another thing here. Of course, you can go to SoundCloud.com slash JSC Radio. That's where the show started itself. And naturally, of course, if you really want to follow the show, you go to my website, JScottSmith.com. That's the mothership, JScottSmith.com. J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I. TH. So how is everyone doing as we head out of 2017 during this Christmas slash New Year's week? It is something special to be able to do this for a second straight year because that means somehow, some way, this show made it two calendar years as we're heading into 2018. And just to look back at what this show has been is really to kind of chronicle the entire weird, wild insanely crazy year that we've had in 2017. We thought 2016 was something. We thought 2016 was the type of year that could not be matched for a multitude of reasons. Well, damn it, look what we've gotten ourselves into. 2017 has been a little bit of everything. What this show will give you, and it's going to be running a little long because, hey, 2017 is 12 months. You think I'm going to be able to squeeze this damn thing into 45 minutes or even an hour or an hour and a half? Oh, no, baby. We're going to keep doing this till we get it right. So first things first, man, you have with the worst, is this has been a year where people, and really I think some of this has been started in the last couple years and some of it emboldened by a certain individual who somehow managed to get into the White House. We've found ourselves in a world where common sense and established facts And, you know, smart people stuff is somehow out here being challenged by people who seem to think that just because they're famous or just because they know a couple of big words but don't know the meaning, that they suddenly seem to be smarter than you and they know more than you. And unfortunately, one of those individuals is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, now of the Boston Celtics, but at the time I did this episode, he was with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Earthbound is the name of the episode. It was episode 32 from back early in the year. And needless to say, I kind of lost it. Reason being is that Kyrie Irving, while he was still a member of the Cavaliers, decided to pair up with Channing Frye and Richard Jefferson to do a podcast. And they did a podcast where somehow along the way, it became known to the rest of the world, around the world, that Kyrie Irving seems to think that the earth is flat. 
You heard me. This dude thinks the earth is flat, despite the fact that he was born on the other side of the planet. Despite the fact that he has played basketball games and traveled to the other side of the planet. He thinks that somehow there is this conspiracy to hide the truth from people. And he insists that he's never seen a picture of the earth being round. You know, despite the fact that there are nothing but pictures of a round earth. Well, when I heard this, I kind of lost it. It came right around the time of the NBA All-Star Game. Let's first kick it back to episode 32 of the People's Podcast. It's called Earthbound. And I just had had enough of Kyrie Irving even entertaining the stupidity that is the earth being flat. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of JSC Radio for 2017. Let's get down to business, y'all. I, I can't let this go. I can't. Kyrie Irving. You, you all right, homie? You good? Because you know how difficult it is for me to tell people that one time I was an athlete and then I see a current athlete say the dumb shit you did. Now, I, I, I know people have been paying attention to this amongst all the other driftwood and horrid things that are happening out there. Those who are fans of the NBA or those who are just fans of, you know, common sense and science heard Cleveland Cavalier point guard Kyrie Irving who was at Duke University just long enough to play 11 games before bolting in the NBA draft. Kyrie Irving got on a podcast with his teammates, Richard Jefferson and Channing Frye. We've all heard about it. We've heard it talked about. We've seen it made fun of. Remember about a year and a half ago, year, year and a half ago, the rapper B.O.B., which I've never really understood that name, B.O.B., but B.O.B., very defiantly jumped his ass out there and said he believes the earth is flat. A guy who's literally been on the other side of this planet said that the world is flat, like defiantly and confidently with no other proof than just it's my opinion and just do your research. By the way, why is it, and and I I do wonder about that because that is a thing that I see with guys. Why is it that whenever somebody gets behind some crackpot conspiracy theory, some some dumbass opinion, or they just believe something with no facts, just they believe it, and you simply ask them, well, dude, where are you getting this from? Their immediate retort is this condescending, arrogant, do your research. Dude, this, this this ain't up for debate, man. That's going to be a theme here. This ain't up for debate. You're telling me to do research on something that I already know. It is an established fact. Your opinion, does just because you believe in it, does not make it true. There are people who believe in the tooth fairy. Tooth fairy ain't real. But you want to know who those people are that believe in the tooth fairy? They're infants. They're not goddamn NBA players. All right, they're not they're not they're not adults, and that's what first it was Bob who ended up being clowned by Neil deGrasse Tyson, because again these are people who know nothing about science. I'm somebody. The reason I got into broadcasting and journalism 
you know, is because I'm good with the words and stuff. I'm good with history. That's my thing. Math, science, I leave that to the people who've got the big fancy degrees and know what the hell they're talking about. But you don't need a degree in astrophysics to understand that the Earth is flipping round. Rather than I say this, just listen to the cockiness and confidence and borderline arrogance that comes out of Kyrie Irving. Hear from that podcast, which I will not tell you to subscribe to, but damn it, hear from the podcast with Richard Jefferson, who I'd forgotten was still in the NBA until last summer, and Channing Frye is Kyrie Irving making a complete and total fool of himself by insisting that the earth is flat. Do you believe, do you I, believe do that I believe the earth is round? Uh, yes, I do. Okay. You believe the Earth is round? Yes, but I heard the new one that the Earth. <laughs> There's is... no new one. There is no it's, new one. Okay, I heard some crazy. Do you believe, one. My do you believe that we are? That. Do you believe? Do you believe? <laughs> this is gonna sound crazy. <laughs> ben Diggles, this is a shout out to you. He came to us and he listens to super conspiracy yes. theory guy. This is not how a conspiracy. The earth is flat. Yeah, no, the Earth is flat. Oh, oh here we go. go. The Earth is flat. <laughs> earth is flat. Went. Have okay, you ever had go. vertigo? The Earth is not flat. <laughs> Let's go. Come on, Kai. No, I'm just saying that 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 all these things, all these things that particular groups, I won't even pinpoint one group, that they they almost offer up this education. The fact that in our lifetimes that there are so many holes and so many pockets in our history. In our our history. Unbelievable. But by the way, by the way, I I want to say that there is is just history. I don't want to dictate it to one race, dictate it to any one particular type of people or anything like that history is history and it's happened long before us and it's going to happen after us and it always repeats itself somehow in some way yeah because we're all these things that they keep giving to us all right all this information they're giving us bad hamburgers from uh mcdonald's dog (laughs) you like the hamburger i don't eat the hamburgers you can compare to watching your child be born yeah i have three so i've seen i've seen a lot of i'm just saying that these things that ultimately used to put me in fear in this thing and it used to be like oh man it makes you not want to question it naturally yes. because of how much information you actually can figure out and how much information there actually is out there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You can – anything – All right, all right, all right, damn it. Okay. Cut it, cut it, cut it, damn it. I can't, I can't stand I, – I, I, I had all I could stand. I can't stand no more of this bullshit. Okay, look. Facts are facts, bruh. Facts are facts. Up is up. Down is down. Water is wet. The earth is round. And, and, and by the way, to, to, to Jefferson and Fry, I'm holding you responsible for this crap too. Stop humoring and co-signing stupidity as if it's equal to facts. It's not. And you can hear the cockiness and the confidence. This, I know something you don't know, but you have nothing to back it up. We got enough problems like that going on in Washington right now. We don't need NBA players who at least seem to have their heads screwed on just tight enough being cocky about not knowing what the hell they're talking about the only thing worse than ignorance is backing it up with confidence ignorance plus confidence equals arrogance is what i like to say come on Kyrie, come on dog there's a multitude of things in 2017 that we can question without sounding crazy or stupid whether the earth is round is not one of them this is not up for debate This shit was established back in the 15th century when there were no satellite pictures out there. There were no airplanes. All we had were astronomers, scholars, 
blueprints, and Christopher Columbus floating around the world murdering brown people. That's all we had to go on. But for a guy, and how about here, you want a little funny twist to this? He's saying this dumb shit while flying on a plane. A plane. You are on a plane. An aeroplane. You're a guy who's been on the literal other side of this planet. Like, how can you, with a straight face, mind you, insist that the world is flat? And I know normally I wouldn't go off on a tangent like this, but I cannot stand stupid people. I cannot stand people who are arrogantly uninformed, who hang on to conspiracy theories and this whole idea that the government is lying to you and I was lied to in school so I won't believe anything. Look here, genius. There's plenty of things that either we didn't learn or we didn't know or, yeah, to be fair, some things weren't taught. Some things weren't taught in a deep enough manner. But there's a lot of shit I learned in school, in college, or in the upper levels of high school in 11th and 12th grade that I might not have gotten in 4th or 5th grade. The one thing I got in 4th and 5th grade and 1st and 2nd grade was the goddamn planet is round. How the hell are you going to go to the other side of the planet? You're on the other side of the earth, dog. You've been on not only the other side of the earth, yes, was just down in Brazil for the Olympics, homie. That ain't a straight line. It's an arc. I mean, have you even heard him kind of arrogantly throw the word planets in quote marks? Uh, Everything that's gone up there has never come... I'm getting flustered. I can't even say this shit correctly. Everything that's gone up there has never come back down. The hell are you talking about? All those space missions that went up there didn't come back down? Those satellites that have come crashing back down to Earth? The meteorites? Shooting stars? What the hell is wrong with this, this dude? Like, for real... That's that same dumb shit that sits around people who claim vaccines are dangerous and they cause autism. By the way, they don't. That's not up for debate. You ever notice how people who have at some point in their life been vaccinated insist that vaccines are dangerous? And of course, what do they retort with? You need to do your research. Doctors have already done that. Well, I need to do my own independent research. Mother, You're not a doctor. Just like you're not a scientist. That you don't need to be a scientist to know that the worth of the goddamn planet is round. It's round. If you've been to Japan or China, you had to fly west to get there. You kept flying west. You flew over the Pacific Ocean, popped out on the other side. There's Japan. There's, there's South Korea, North Korea. There's Australia. There's China. The world ain't flat. And stop humoring these simpletons who think it is. So needless to say, I'm not exactly a big fan of the Flat Earth crew. In fact, I still don't understand the Flat Earth crew. And this, obviously, this show came well before, I don't know if you remember a few weeks ago, in the Washington Post, there was the story of this jackaloon who was going to build a rocket to shoot it up into space to prove once and for all that the world was indeed flat. He said, by the way, that he does not believe in science. Now, help me understand here. You're going to construct a rocket to somehow have enough power and traject in the right trajectory to get you airborne, high enough, fast enough, far enough to get into space so you can prove that the world is flat, but you don't believe in science. And when someone asked him a simple question of, okay, well, what do you say about where the sun goes 
every day. He couldn't answer the question. This is what we're up against going forward in 2017 and now into 2018 when you're likely hearing this. Be smart, people. Damn it. Be smart. But during this point of the year, I've had to find myself demanding that people associated with the NBA be smarter too. Back in June, the Golden State Warriors regained the NBA title. Won a five-game series, beat the Cleveland Cavaliers, completely righted the wrong, the mishap that occurred in the finals last year where they infamously blew a 3-1 lead, blah, 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 blah. We heard that ad nauseum. And I got into that during this particular episode as well. But the fun part of this is, is that this episode also proved me right about Kevin Durant. If you recall in 2016, I was one of the few guys who had the stones to actually step up and say what Kevin Durant did was the right thing because he did the right thing for himself. And you got to deal with these jackasses who've never as much as had a job that paid them more than $10 an hour telling some guy that he has to stay loyal to a team. You got to stay loyal. You stay loyal to yourself. That's who you stay loyal to. And Kevin Durant did that and ended up dominating in the NBA Finals. Dominating. Yet, of course, the zipperhead still insisted upon saying that this dude rode coattails to a championship despite the fact that he was the plow horse that got them across the finish line. Well, you get to hear me gloat about this right now as we go back to episode 42 of the People's Podcast as we talk about, or I talked about, Kevin Durant's success with the Golden State Warriors going forward and what that means for the rest of the league. And of course, you know, I put myself over about how right I was about him getting up and leaving. And I present an unarguable case to why any of you would have done the exact same damn thing. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and this is the best of JSC Radio for 2017. And let's get back to it. I sat here a year ago, and not only did I defend what Kevin Durant did, I encouraged others to do it. It's funny to me, and I I pointed this out in various places because it just bugged me how angry, how upset, how triggered fake tough guy Twitter and old school basketball fan who's in their mid-20s and never actually played an organized sport seems to have this hard on about what Kevin Durant did. It bothers them so much. You see it. You hear it in the stupid things they say like, He took the easy way out. If you can't beat him, join him. He took the easy way out. Why couldn't he have just been loyal? Isaiah wouldn't have left. By the way, I think Isaiah would have left. He wouldn't have left. Back in the day, Magic Magic stayed loyal. Bird stayed loyal. He toughed it out. He earned it. What kind of a message is it to kids? Really? What kind of message is it to kids? Let, let, me, let me stress that again. What kind of message is it to kids? These are, a lot of these guys are the same ones who, up until maybe a year ago, were supporting guys like Bill Cosby, who were making excuses for guys who beat up women. What does it say to kids that if it, that you just, when the going gets tough, you just leave and go to an easier gig? Yeah. If somebody beats you, you go join up with them? Yeah. That's how it works. It's business. Plain and simple. 
I don't understand why everybody seems to not understand this whole thing. I don't get what's so hard and so difficult about this proposition. Simply put, all you got to do is look at business. And I've heard this entire scenario play out over and over and over and over again. And people refuse to use any sort of like actual logic in their anger. Their whole thing is, oh, well, if he was a real athlete, he would have stuck it out. He would have struggled. Only in sports. And only do zipperhead sports fans use this silly ass logic of you have to struggle to win. And they only apply it, mind you, to the guys who are in their prime. No one seems to have an issue when a guy like, say, Gary Payton or Carl Malone, well, unless you're in Salt Lake City, Gary Payton or Carl Malone or, I don't know, Patrick Ewing or, or Charles Barkley is out here chasing rings late in their career. No one seems to have a problem with that. A guy hits free agency. He hits free damn agency, meaning he can go wherever he wants. It's not like he quit on the team to go to Oakland. His contract was up. He honored. Let me stress this. He honored his entire damn contract. Signed an extension a few years ago. So I'm really not trying to hear this ass-backwards, nonsensical logic telling me that this guy is somehow soft for leaving as a free agent to go wherever he wants. And it's really funny to me that so many of you who have a problem with this guy choosing to go where he wants, yet you're the same ones who were calling Dan Gilbert a slave master when he punched out that awful Comic Sans note to LeBron James when he left to go to Miami, which, by the way, LeBron was in within his rights to do. Durant did, as I've said for the last year, Kevin Durant did what any of you would do. Yes, I know. They lost after being up 3-1 against the Warriors. So why would you go and join up with the team that beat you? That's weak. So what? This is business. And unlike all of these days of yore that most of you weren't actually alive to see, I was alive to see him. Players can now go wherever they want when their contract is up. And I think what bothers so many of you is that you can't do the same thing at your job. Because most of you aren't good enough to be able to go wherever you want to go when you want to do it. And you get mad at this man, this black man, and I'm going to get there too, this black man for doing what he wants. It's like a psychological thing with a lot of people. If I see a better situation, I'm leaving. I had some idiot on Twitter dare to say to me, by the way, at J. Scott Smith, I had some idiot on Twitter say to me that the idea of saying you left for a better job is stupid. No, you're stupid. 
But considering you're a guy with a Patrick Beverly avatar talking about you're a fan of the Houston Rockets, I would imagine you don't exactly know what it's like to have a real job anyway. But those of us grown-ups who have actual jobs are always looking for something better. That's what makes it laughable when I see reporters say this stupid shit. Oh, he took the road. He took the road that most people would have traveled. Oh, he just he just took the easy road. Oh, if you... Why, what message does it send to the kids? Why can't you, why, why can't you work for it? If you're really stupid enough to think that Kevin Durant didn't work his ass off every single day to get where he is, if you're dumb enough to think that this guy didn't work twice as hard once he got there, like just rolling out the ball and showing up on a team that won 73 games last year, a team that won 73 games but did not win the world title, a team that won 73 games and everything was just handed to him and easy, and you seem to think that there's something wrong with on your own as a free agent, free to go wherever you want to go, and he chooses to go to that team, and you have a problem with it, I hope you never leave where you are for something better. Because when you do, I'm going to be up your ass. Where I am right now, if I got offered a gig in Bristol at ESPN, or if I got offered a gig at NBC, or if I got offered a gig at FS1, not Fox News, FS1, if I got offered a gig at FS1, you best believe I'm packing up my shit and leaving Philadelphia and heading to Los Angeles, or heading to New York, or heading to Bristol, Connecticut, and I won't think twice about it. I owe wherever you are, you wherever you are, you can be fired at any time. They can get rid of you and send you on your way, and you get nothing but maybe, maybe, mind you, a severance check and a foot up the ass on the way out the door. They owe you nothing, and you owe them nothing. And Kevin Durant owes you nothing either. You want to know the things I consider when I'm looking at a new job and something different or a change in my life? You want to know what's being considered? My feelings, my family's feelings, and how my bank account will feel. You want to know whose feelings I don't consider? Yours. And that's Kevin Durant. He doesn't give a damn about your feelings. And he's made that very clear on multiple occasions this year. This is business. This whole, oh, he could have just stayed loyal. Why did he have to go to the best team? Because he can. And you would too. So shut up. Shut up, you. What is, and by the way, I've made fun of this for the last year. And I'm going to get on your head one more time. What does this loyalty thing get you exactly? Especially in sports. You want to know what it would have gotten Kevin Durant and what it did get Kevin Durant? It got one of his best teammates traded to a rival in his own division, in James Harden. At the end of last season, it got another of his teammates shipped out of there to a terrible team for spare parts in Serge Ibaka. And I pointed it out last year. It eventually could have gotten him traded to some terrible team like Minnesota or Brooklyn after his best years are over and he's been used up and washed up and they ship him off to some sorry team for some draft picks so they can rebuild and start over. I heard his name come up in trade rumors those last two, three years he was in Oklahoma City. People were questioning whether he could win there and they put it all on him. It's idiotic. The hell with that. I'd leave and not think twice if I knew I could be the final piece to a damn dynasty. May I stress again, 
The Warriors won 73 games last year. The one thing they didn't win was the world title. And the level of mental gymnastics it takes to act like somehow it's more honorable to be traded to a great team when you're washed up as opposed to leaving in your prime when you can actually win a damn ring rather than be like Carl Malone or Gary Payton or Tracy McGrady and try to piggyback your way to one at the end of your career is laughable. That's another part of this stupidity about Kevin Durant. These simpletons who wear skinny jeans and have and have eyebrow piercings, who ain't stepped on a basketball court or played any sort of organized sport in their life, having the nerve to sit here and say that somehow Kevin Durant has a tainted championship, or he just was riding coattails to a championship. This some bitch scored at least 30 points in every single game in the finals. He was the finals MVP. They could not stop his ass. Curry finds Durant. Durant stops. Pulls up jumper. Got it. 13 of 17 from the field. 37 more points for Kevin Durant. Riding coattails? This dude was pulling the damn wagon across the finish line. And get at the full rebound. Durant. Incredible opportunity. Durant for three. It's good. Kevin Durant from downtown. And Golden State takes the lead. He hit the kill shot in Cleveland that put him up three love and for all intents and purposes ended the series. Ride coattails. When I see people say things like this, it really makes me wonder if they ate lead paint chips as children. You know what's so funny about that is that when... I say things like that when I point out the obvious that you guys complain about dudes not being loyal to jobs, yet all day long at work your ass is on LinkedIn and on Monster trying to put your resume into a better company in someplace else. So miss me with the he's disloyal thing. Like I said back in June, all of you would do it. Coming up after this break, gonna take a look back and a couple more controversial, per se, stories of this year, including what has kind of become like the infamous episode around here. Episode 45, the R. Kelly episode, including taking a look back at what was the wonderful world of Feel the Hunger Radio and maybe the most controversial, if you want to call it that, segment I had all year. My name is J. Scott Smith, and this is the best of JSC Radio for 2017, and we'll be back after this. Just under three and a half to play in the third. Durant has an opening, and nails the three. Big shot after big shot from both teams. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. So, you know, I'm a dog, and I'm kind of new to this family, but I've noticed a trend. My humans do this thing where they go around and get all my toys and hide them in this basket, but it's always the same basket, and it's always the same place, and then they act so surprised when I find them, but I'm like, hello, that's where you put it last time. Humans are the worst at hide-and-go-seek. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the ShelterPetProject.org. Hey now, it's J. Scott Smith here, the host of JSC Radio, which you can now hear on Stitcher Radio. That's right, Stitcher is radio on demand. Now you can download the free app today and it's available on iOS, 
Android, as well as Nook and Kindle Fire. You can take JSC Radio anywhere. The app is free. You can listen anytime, anywhere. Now, if you're wondering what Stitcher is, Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all of your favorite shows, plus discover 40,000 news, entertainment, and sports shows, such as JSC Radio. You can create custom playlists. You can rate and review this show and others on Stitcher. Please drop a friendly review on the show. Not only is Stitcher available on all smartphones and tablets, it's also in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory on any of your devices. You can stream your favorite podcasts, like JSC Radio, for free on Stitcher. If you don't have the Stitcher app, simple. Go to Stitcher.com today or check out the App Store on whichever device you use. Stitcher Radio. Be sure to check it out. This is JSC Radio. I find a lot of the things that they do amusing. They need to check themselves sometimes. But just remember, pride comes before the fall. So they want to mock us all they want to mock us. I'm telling them it's not over. So they can print all that crap all they want all over their locker. It's not over. It'll never be over here. Oh, he has trouble with the snap. Shotgun snap. Looks right, now looks left. He'll go, run go, go, left. Go, go, go. He's inside the five. Dives to the He's goal in line. Into the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. It's not over. It'll never be over here. Sokol tight right. The Stewart on the wing. Play fake to Stewart on an end around. Oh, He'll treat it right side to Madre London. At the 10, at the 5, hits for the he right pylon. He is into the end zone. Touchdown, MSU. What a play call. So they want to mock us all they want to mock us. I'm telling them it's not over. Third and 12 for Michigan. O'Corn will run. Raquan Williams had him around the ankles, and he stepped out of it. Throws it upfield. Ball's it's out. Caught, but it's a Michigan State got it back. Second and 12 at the Michigan 40. O'Corn has a lot of time, throws over the middle. Pick. Intercepted through the fingertips of Crawford. Picked off by David Dowell, and David Dowell returns it to the Michigan 41-yard line. O'Corn fumbles the snap. Scrambling, looking to throw it. Flag down, intercepted. Intercepted by Bocci at the 41. A lot of people. Dressed mostly in yellow and some blue. Very, very quiet at this point. So they want to mock us all they want to mock us. I'm telling them it's not over. Five seconds left. Spartans 14, Michigan 10. Ball at the 37 of the Spartans. O'Corn takes the snap. Rolls to his right. Going for the end zone. Hail Mary. It's down. No good. The Spartans break it up. As time runs out, the Spartans win at Michigan, 14 to 10. Mark D'Antonio is now eight and three against Michigan. I don't know, you know, we've done it eight times. We've done it eight times, so, you know, I don't know why there's a lot of doubt. So they're an extremely well-coached football team with great talent, Um, but we have some guys too. Yeah, that one was fun. You remember that from back in October? 
I know Michigan fans sure as hell remember that from back in October. My name is Jay Scott Smith. Welcome back to the best of JSC Radio for 2017. That one was back in October. I want to thank my man Doc Gillingsworth who produced the music you heard underneath there. Plus, of course, a shout out to the Spartan Radio Network for setting me up on that. Yes, indeed. This is the best of JSC Radio. Welcome back. Happy New Year for those of you who might be listening in 2018. I want to thank each and every one of you as always for checking out and supporting the show on jscottsmith.com. Of course, you can listen to the show on soundcloud.com slash JSC Radio. You can get at your boy on Twitter at JSC Radio or at J Scott Smith. I am verified on there. And also, I am on the Instagram at J Scott Smith and on Facebook at Real J Scott Smith. And I want to thank all of you who supported my fundraiser on Facebook that raised money for the Pennsylvania SPCA. You guys are amazing because you know how much it is. I just love to do stuff to help animals be safer. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm pretty much. I'm a nice guy when I want to be, especially when it comes to animals, because I really like that. So thank you so much for your support. It's greatly appreciated. But here we are right now as we go into a slightly more serious part of the uh, of the show here. This year had a lot of heavy topics, a lot of them. I mean, a ton of them. And so often I would find myself having to kind of balance between hitting on something serious and having fun. And here's a case back in episode 40 where I kind of did a little bit of both. Episode 40 was entitled, This is Sparta. Hence, as you could tell with the MSU intro coming into the segment, even though that one wasn't from episode 40. And what we did there was, point blank, talk about my overall love for my alma mater, Michigan State University, but also... At the time, MSU was going through a lot, like a ton of shit. And one of the things they were dealing with in earnest was the MSU football program was coming off the 3-9 and nine season, and they had multiple players booted from the team for sexual assault, which, of course, that became a bigger moment here in 2017. But also, the university seemed to be pretty much complicit in the act of covering for Dr. Larry Nasser the former team doctor for MSU's gymnastics team, women's gymnastics team, as well as working with youth gymnastics teams around the Lansing area. And he was also the team doctor for USA Gymnastics, the Olympic team. Well, it was discovered that he had been molesting and assaulting young women and girls for years, upwards of more than 20 years. And many of the instances had actually been reported to Michigan State University and to USA Gymnastics, and nothing was done. Well, from episode 40, I basically short-circuited talking about this because we all know how bad this was and how this happened to turn out, by the way. I'll have an update on that at the end of this segment, but let's take a look back to episode 40, the This is Sparta episode, as we talk about the terrible issues that were haunting Michigan State University, including those of Dr. Larry Nasser. This is the best of JSC Radio. The night of the Big Ten Championship game in Indianapolis, when L.J. Scott scored that touchdown, Spartans won the Big Ten again for the third time in five years. They go to the college football playoff. One of the highest of high points, maybe the highest point that the program has seen in half a century. Legit. This past season, they went 3-9, and nine, their worst year in a quarter century. And a lot of things were hanging over this program, and this is before all this. 
There have been internal strife and internal issues going on. But this is just something that is off the page. But MSU is not a stranger to this sort of thing. For a few years prior, they were running afoul of the federal government, you know, back when the federal government actually cared about people. They ran afoul of the federal government for their violations of Title IX. Young women were basically afraid to report sexual assault because they felt it would not be handled properly. That it would not be treated with any sort of seriousness. That the victim would get blamed. That they would underreport it. That's a thing that had been going on at MSU. That's a thing that was happening at my alma mater. And it would be easy to sit here and say that this is only an isolated incident. No, you shouldn't come down so hard. And, oh, my personal favorite, oh, at least we're not Penn State. Let me get to the Penn State thing for a second before we really dive off into this. When the entire Jerry Sandusky thing exploded at Penn State, I heard a number of my fellow Spartans get chesty and say, that would never happen at MSU. Now, I quickly shut that down. Because let's just keep it real. Let's be honest here. Penn State refused to protect young boys from a predatory, pederast coach. But right now, five years later, it appears MSU hitched its chariot to a predatory, pederast doctor over the well-being of innocent young women and girls. Every institution has its skeletons. It's just a matter of time before we start tripping over the bones. I mentioned Larry Nasser. For more than 20 years, this man was sexually molesting and sexually assaulting girls, women, gymnasts, members of local gymnastics teams. For more than two decades, he was one of the most sought-after sports medicine men on the planet. Larry Nasser. It's astonishing. In the last six months, pretty much all of this comes to light. He faces federal charges on receipt and possession of child pornography, three charges of first-degree criminal sexual conduct involving a family friend allegedly abused from age 6 until 12. Scads of other women have filed criminal or civil complaints against Nasser alleging sexual abuse and other misconduct dating back to 1994. It's 23 years ago. I was a freshman in high school in 1994 and continuing into 2016. All the victims are women. So that's the only difference, really, between Sandusky and this guy. The quote from the M Live piece, which was written by my former colleague Emily Lawler, quote, It's Penn State all over again. That's from Brian McKean, a Detroit attorney representing one of the women. You have the same kind of institutional failures, including multiple victims violated by a trusted staffer. It took years to investigate this. MSU's athletic trainers and even police were being told of this, that without their consent, Nasser was penetrating their vagina and anus during medical treatments for back, hip, and other injuries. And yet, whenever a woman or girl said something to a coach, to the police, to a staffer, it was met with skepticism. It was scoffed at. Kathy Clegus, the coach that I talked about earlier, the one who was suspended and ended up retiring the next day, she was one of the biggest enablers of Nasser. Quote, this is from Tiffany Lopez who says she was abused in 1999 and 2000 while she was a softball player at MSU. I feel like I didn't do a good job protecting those who came after me, but I did speak up on more than one occasion. MSU, along with USA Gymnastics, who also employed Nasser, has been getting hammered for this. Nasser had been at MSU since 1997 until he was fired last fall. He was with USA Gymnastics in 1986 and became their chief medical coordinator or actually he was their chief medical coordinator and team doctor from 1986 to 1989.
from 1996 to 2015, and at TwiStars, a high-profile USA Gymnastics training facility in the Lansing area, all their athletes were sent to Nasser, and all those organizations are now co-defendants in some of these lawsuits. MSU was the only entity to actually formally employ him, but the university claimed they didn't have any knowledge of any complaints prior to 2014. I call that bullshit. Luana K. Simon, when she addressed the allegation, said that MSU has taken a proactive approach. Again, I call bullshit. 1997 into 1998, a gymnast alleges she complained to Kathy Clegas while she was a part of the youth gymnastics program. And according to the gymnast's allegations in the lawsuit, the gymnast, a teenager at the time, claims in the lawsuit that she was concerned about Nasser's treatments. Clegas discouraged her from filing a formal complaint and informed Nasser of the conversation, according to the court filings. That same year, 1997, a parent complained to Twice Stars owner John Gettert about Nasser's medical treatments. Gettert not only failed to investigate, but continued to recommend Nasser as a physician. 1999, an MSU track and cross country runner told staff members at the athletic department and athletic trainers that Nasser was penetrating her vagina during treatment. And yes, I'm going to use that exact language to get the point across here. He was penetrating her vagina during treatment for an injured hamstring. The suit alleges the coach and the trainers t were told her that Nasser was an Olympic doctor and he knew what he was doing. We get to Lopez, 1999-2000. She told MLive that three trainers dismissed her concerns and one of them told Lopez that she should feel grateful to be treated by a world-renowned doctor. Oh, I can keep going. It just goes further and further down the line. We get to 2004, family friend in Nasser's criminal assault case told a counselor about the alleged abuse. The counselor had the 12-year-old girl and her parents meet with Nasser who denied the allegations and the girl's parents forced her to recant. The girl later told multiple therapists and counselors about the abuse. There's no record of anyone calling the police about the, the, the allegations. I'm flustered here. Excuse me. Although state law mandates mental health counselors to report child sexual abuse. What the hell was going on up there? 2014, second police report filed by a different woman with MSU police alleged abuse during medical treatment. Case was referred to the Ingham County prosecutor who declined to press charges after they recognized it as a, quote, legitimate medical procedure. It's mind-blowing. It's absolutely mind-blowing. Rachel Den Hollander in 2000 said she was abused by Nasser when she was 15. She was a Kalamazoo gymnast treated at MSU Sports Medicine Clinic. She told the Kalamazoo area gymnastics coach about the abuse two years later. The coach told her to keep quiet. By the way, the reason her name is out there is because she chose to have her name used. And that's why I have it out there. Nasser was, quote, MSU's golden boy. He was gymnastics golden boy. He was so loved in the community that I was very sure I would be crucified and he would end up empowered to know he couldn't get caught. And what breaks my heart more than anything is that all these women who came forward did what I didn't do. That's exactly what happened to them. I'm not even sure what to say about this. I mentioned Jerry Sandusky. This is every bit Sandusky, except instead of it being a football coach, it's a gymnastics doctor. But the same toxic rules apply. A culture of enabling, a culture of denial, a culture of shaming the victim, of blaming the victim, of silencing the victim, in this case, dozens of young women and girls to have to be subject to that awful abuse by this piece of garbage of a human being. And I barely even want to use the terminology to call him a human being. Luana K. Simon 
finally got in front of a camera last week and decided to formally address these issues at Michigan State University. This is a difficult time and it's been troubling for many, particularly for Spartans, as they see media stories about investigations related to sexual assault at MSU. The seriousness of the charges requires the most deliberate investigations possible. So I thank the Spartan community for your patience as we work with authorities to ensure justice is fully served. But most of all, I once again thank each and every individual who has come forward to share details of personally traumatic events. This is truly a courageous act. I recognize the pain sexual violence causes and truly regret any time someone in our community experiences it. Many of you have asked for more information and more frequent updates about how we're responding to this critical situation. So today I want to tell you about a new website dedicated to that purpose, msu.edu, our commitment. On this site, you will find updates on the Larry Nasser and the football player investigations. You will also find information about Michigan State's work to combat sexual assault, improve patient care and safety, and protect youth on campus. We'll outline the steps we're taking to build on our earlier work as we cultivate a safe and inclusive community. Sexual assault has no place at MSU. Anyone found to have violated the law or our policies will be held accountable. At MSU, we're determined to be better tomorrow than we are today. I hope you will join me in this commitment. Thank you. Now that's all well and good. And yeah, she's out here acknowledging it. But here's the thing. This is a culture at MSU that's been allowed to fester for decades. I remember a few years ago when the feds started sniffing around and talking about Title IX. I cringed because I had a very sinking suspicion that they were eventually going to turn up something like this. As it stands, it turned up on its own. Quote, at this point, Larry Nasser has more victims than Jerry Sandusky. That's from John Manley, one of the attorneys working with 20 of Nasser's accusers. Sandusky was convicted of 45 counts of sexual conduct related to 10 victims, and Penn State has had to pay settlements to 33 victims who filed complaints. They're still paying for that, as they should. And instead of it being Joe Paterno turning a blind eye to this sort of abuse, it's Kathy Clegas who very cowardly quit and retired the day after being suspended right before the shit hit the fan. I love my alma mater. I said it in the early part of the show, and it's disheartening, and it's painful. It pisses me off, and I'm not going to sit here and be like a lot of those weirdos at Penn State or how people at any other school would immediately jump to the defense of the school over this. This is disgusting, and everybody involved should be ready to pay through the damn nose for what they did to allow these girls and these young women to be violated and abused and treated that way. For years and years and years, I couldn't imagine having a daughter and she comes up to me and tells me this and I got to find out that some jag-off coach told her don't say anything or you should be thankful that you're having such great treatment. MSU, I love you. I do. But between the football program, where three and nine is the least of their worries right now, you got three guys who are unnamed plus a coach who's suspended revolving around a sexual assault case. 
You had to kick another guy off the damn team. One of your best defensive players, John Reschke, apparently dropped some racist bombs on a teammate and quit the team in shame during the offseason. Mark D'Antonio is a great coach, and he's led the turnaround of a lifetime at Michigan State University and their football program. You got to get this shit reined in, dude. I refuse to be embarrassed to say I went to Michigan State University. I refuse to be embarrassed to wear the green and white, to sing the fight song, to get those damn goosebumps that I got when LJ Scott scored that touchdown in Indianapolis and they beat Iowa. When Jalen Watts Jackson took it to the house in Ann Arbor almost two years ago. When I walked across that stage on May 2nd, 2003 to get my bachelor's degree. When I first stepped onto that campus In 1997, I refuse to be embarrassed to be a Spartan. But damn it, you're really making it difficult here. Get it together. And institutionally, things like this have to stop. It's not about a bottom line. The bottom line are the people who are there. The people who are there. Why does it take something like this to finally whip your ass into shape? Why does it take something on the level of this at Michigan State or on the level of Penn State and Jerry Sandusky or on the level of the entire damn Baylor football team being a bunch of miscreants or the University of Florida before that or Ohio State before that or University of Miami before that or Nebraska and Lawrence Phillips before that? Why the hell does it take this to finally get the point across? Why does this have to happen? Why do multitudes of lawsuits have to happen? Why is it so difficult to do the damn right thing? Huh? Why is it so hard? Do the right thing the first time and you don't have this. Get out in front of it. I refuse to be ashamed to be a Spartan, but I'm not going to stick my head in the sand and act like this ain't happening. It's bigger than athletics. It's bigger than the football field. This is our lives here. And just because I went to MSU doesn't mean I co-sign on this. Get it together, MSU. Please. I deal with enough crap out of these Michigan fans who run their mouths. These same Michigan fans who ain't even get as far as community college popping off at the mouth about my school. The last thing you need is to give them any ammo because I'm not going to defend you from this. And that still rings true, by the way. I will not stick my head in the sand and act as if this ain't happening at MSU. Now, obviously, since that episode originally aired back in May, the Spartans took three and nine and turned it into nine and three. They went into Columbus with an opportunity to possibly win their division as recently as early November. But unfortunately, didn't quite work out that way. Doesn't matter. They ended up finishing second in the Big Ten East and turned one of their worst seasons in the history of the program into one of the best turnarounds in the history of the program. Stunning to say the least. Meanwhile, Larry Nasser was recently sentenced to 60 years in prison after pleading to child pornography and he's got multiple cases in front of him. But the other issue is, is that the university itself is still refusing to really acknowledge its culpability in all this. They most recently offered President Luana Simon another pay raise to which she essentially declined it and decided to start a fund for women and young girls who were sexually assaulted. But she remains in the position of president despite loud calls from students, from alumni, and from certain members of the press, including myself, to resign her post. The board of trustees, which they might need to start resigning their post, is insisting that she did a marvelous job 
with the investigation and did nothing wrong, considering it was the Board of Trustees who often were chiming in saying that the university would come out totally clean after the investigation. But more and more, it's starting to look like the university knew these things were going on and let them slide in favor of Nasser. And now they're paying the price. They're teetering awfully close, and I mean really close, to being Penn State here. And sticking your head in the sand and trying to give somebody a pass does not bode well for those of you who want to continue to let people off the hook, who want to continue to let people ride, who want to continue to let people skate for whatever BS reason you can think of. Stop that. And speaking of which, after episode 40, had a few shows pass by, and along the way, Jim DeRogatis, who used to work for the Chicago Sun-Times and now works for Chicago Public Radio, put up an amazing story on BuzzFeed where he talked about R. Kelly, who'd been one of his main topics of conversation. If you remember the infamous tape of R. Kelly from back in 2002, DeRogatis was the first guy to report on it. Eventually, R. Kelly went on trial and in 2008 was acquitted. Well, 10 years later, almost 10 years later, it's brought up that now R. Kelly is finally kind of straight away from the teenage girls, and now he's worked his way to just barely legal women who, according to the article, allegedly he's turned into a bit of sex slaves. He's got a cult happening. Was the, a cult was the word that was used in the, in the story. I, I wouldn't quite use the word cult to describe it, but it's something. It's, it's wild. Well, episode 45 on July 21st hit on this. It all really picked up after I played this clip of our reaction on Field of Hunger Radio from 2008, me and DJ Cut Nice, the day that Kelly was acquitted. And what followed turned out to be maybe the most popular segment of the show the entire damn year. From episode 45, we talk about R. Kelly and the cult of personality. This is the best of JSC Radio. Dateline Chicago, June 13, 2008. Coming from the Chicago Tribune, a Cook County jury in Illinois, obviously, acquitted R&B superstar R. Kelly of his child pornography charges, marking the end of a high-profile trial rich in courtroom drama and celebrity intrigue. Now, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the better part of this decade and don't exactly know what this whole R. Kelly thing is about, yonder 2002, a video, a mysterious video, started showing up on the internet. Uh-oh. And still photos started showing up on the internet of R. Kelly engaging in random acts of freakery with women. Right now, mind there. you, R. Kelly was in his early 30s and was married at the time. But, you know, why let that stop you? And That's not cool. But at least two of them looked like they were of age. So all he was doing was just cheating on his wife. So he, he wasn't committing any legal crimes here. But then the video showed up of him and what appeared to be either a 13 or 14-year-old girl. No, unacceptable. And, um, and boom goes the dynamite. It's become one of the most infamous videotapes in the history of the internet, essentially, where Mr. Kelly was having all sorts of sexual relations with this 14-year-old girl, which, by the way, of course, you, if you haven't figured out, is horridly illegal. And at the end of it, as is well-documented, Dude, after he got done doing his thing with this 14-year-old girl, he then urinated on the 14 or 13-year-old girl. That's totally messed up. R. Kelly, as you can have anybody who's seen the video, 
R. Kelly, take a really good look at the tape, look square into the camera. He's a bona fide. Square kid. into the camera numerous times while he's doing this, and so does the girl. His main defense of this whole thing was that it wasn't him. That was his only defense. He couldn't tell you where he was at the time. He can't produce any proof of what he was doing. His defense was that it wasn't me. Like Shaggy, it wasn't me. That's some old bullshit. It wasn't me. That, that was his whole thing. It wasn't me. Somehow, he, along with his lawyers, managed to convince 12 people that it wasn't him. If you've ever seen that tape, if you've ever seen a picture of R. Kelly, you know damn well that was R. Kelly. I continue the story from the Chicago Tribune. Jurors put little stock in the prosecution's star witness, the woman who claimed she participated in sex acts with both Kelly and the underage girl. And because the alleged victim and her family denied she was the woman in the video, jurors' sense of reasonable doubt had strong, held strong. You know, never mind that all you got to do is look at the person in front of you and look at the tape. This ain't one of those things where they look markedly different. They looked exactly the same. The initial vote after the case went to the jury was 10-2 in favor of acquittal. Subsequent votes during the heated but civil deliberations moved back and forth, but not very far. One white female juror said the jurors shared their opinions but never saw anything conclusive. These people have to be blind. Are you high? For real. The 41-year-old singer, real name Robert Kelly, long denied the charges that he videotaped himself engaging in a variety of sex acts with his then underage goddaughter. This was his goddaughter. What? Damn. The jury of nine men and three women deliberated for seven and a half hours before finding Kelly not guilty on all 14 counts. R. Kelly was found not guilty because they had, quote, the best jury that Cook County could produce. Obviously, this comes from R. Kelly's attorney, who probably just became a very, very popular man in the Kilpatrick household in Detroit. Unethical. Two things happened today. R. Kelly got his name back, and his goddaughter never had to lose hers. That's not cool. She lost her dignity and a whole lot of other things in the past few years. Prosecutors struck a somber note about a case that lasted more than six years, using their statements to thank witnesses, profess faith in their case, and acknowledge they had an uphill fight to prove it. No, they didn't. No, that's baloney. That was about as easy a layup as you could ever get in life, and you blew it. How did you blow that, all right? Whoever, whoever, they, oh, in fact, here it is, Cook County State Attorney Richard Devine, you need to lose your job, buddy. How do you get beat on the it wasn't me defense? Here's R. Kelly. Here's the tape. R. Kelly has the same hairstyle now that he had in the tape. Damn. You mean to tell me that that's not it? Jesus. What the hell, Chicago? Are you high? For real. Because you know what kind of door this is open. Do you know what kind of door this is open? If that was an ordinary dude, oh, he's uh, he, he would have went. He's in jail. It wouldn't have been no six you know years dragging it out. He'd have been in jail in 2003. Oh, yeah, man. Oh, man. He would have been. They, they would have took him to jail before. Without the trial. trial, it would have been like, wait a minute, we saw you in the tape. Your ass is going to jail, buddy. Yeah. That's the end of the discussion. R. Kelly and the people who make the excuses similar to like the Boondocks episode, but he's a genius and he's done all this great music. I don't give a damn what he's done. Put this in your perspective. If you've got a child, yeah, if you've got a daughter, all right, or if you've got a niece or or you've got a, a younger female cousin like I do, this, this man in here has got two, two little girls of his own. You think about that. Does it really matter? How, what kind of music he's done? Hell no. If that dude did that to your little girl, you would not be sitting there saying, but he's the Pied Piper R&B. I'd be the Pied Piper whipping his ass. But, but he's, such, he's done such great music. 
people trying to make it seem like this dude was on, was like being racially profiled or something. This dude was on tape peeing on a 14 or 13 year old girl who happened to be his goddaughter for God's sake. That's, that's, that's not cool. Man, that's sick, dude. I don't care what that jury said. Somehow they managed to find 12 people who could get Jedi mind trick into believing that that wasn't him on the tape. We'd, we'd still be sitting there deliberating because there's no way you could convince me it wasn't him. I don't need to see no mole. That Negro got braids in his hair now, just like he had him then. You can easily get a mole removed. <laughs> That's all. Like you, like, well, he doesn't have a mole. Yeah, like the, you can't get that puppy burned off of you real quick. This is, this is one of those most frustrating things. When I saw that he got acquitted, it gave me a headache because I'm like, how, how, what Man. the hell, Chicago? For real, what the hell? Y'all are some great people in the city of Chicago, straight up. How the hell did you get 12 people? who apparently couldn't tell that that was R. Kelly in the tape. Stevie Wonder could see that was R. Kelly in the damn tape, for God's sake. You mean to tell me that y'all couldn't do it? No, unacceptable. <laughs> so, yes, while we had a little bit of fun with it at the time, you got to understand I was almost 10 years younger there. Yeah, I know. That was me at 28 years old. Try that one on. But while we had a little fun with that, there was a lot of legit anger there. Both me and Cut Nice. There's a lot of legit anger. And it's crazy how much the world has changed in that amount of time. But it's also crazy how much the world hasn't changed in that amount of time. The things that have changed have been both good and bad. The things that have not changed includes how we treat our women. And when I say our women, I mean black women. I'm talking about black and brown girls. Black women especially for years and years and years and years have been telling you that R. Kelly is a dirtbag. Telling you this. But also, black women for years and years and years, a lot of them also supported R. Kelly. Some of them were some of his biggest advocates when I was doing Feel the Hunger Radio. And yet, he preyed upon the innocence of young black women and young girls. Took advantage of it because he knew he was going to get a pass from a lot of black people. You want to know what I've been hearing the last few days? It's not, my God, we finally understand what kind of a scumbag he is, or we already knew. A lot of the stories have been known for almost a quarter century. What I've been hearing is something very similar to the same crap I was hearing about Bill Cosby, a lot of the same silly crap I was hearing about the guy we're going to talk about in the second half of this show, Michael Vick, about the silly crap from Chris Brown, and every single black male celebrity who does something stupid. Well, th th this, this inter-white guy here did it. How come they get a pass and R. Kelly doesn't? Why in the hell... Would you want to give a pass to somebody molesting young girls? Ain't nobody's music that damn good to look past that. And yes, history has had a lot of problematic people. History's had a lot of very talented, exceedingly problematic people. Roman Polanski, Michael Jackson. We got one on each side. Jerry Lee Lewis and Johnny Cash. And Elvis Presley, we, we knock these things down over and over and over again. There are a lot of people who are extremely talented. 
But I don't give a damn how talented you are. I don't care what kind of albums you make. I don't care if you're the so-called king of R&B, the Pied Piper of R&B. The dude called himself the Pied Piper, for God's sake. Just go read what the Pied Piper was. He's been laying a trail. He's been crying out for help. He's been crying out to be caught for 25 years. And all y'all care about is when's the next single and when's the next concert so we can put on some ugly white linen outfit and go two-step in the middle of the night in the summertime. Y'all make me just as sick as R. Kelly. Because we've raised the generation of people that basically wants to give free passes to everybody. That is talked about how fame somehow makes you exempt from things. Or you shouldn't be punished as harshly for things. Hell, O.J. Simpson, who just got out on damn parole, took advantage of that. But he's not black, he's O.J. Okay. They talked about R. Kelly starting up a cult. But there's always been one cult that surrounds dudes like R. Kelly and Bill Cosby and Michael Jackson and Chris Brown. It's that cult of personality. And no, I'm not talking about the living color. No, I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about CM Punk. It's that cult of personality that surrounds fame. It's that cult of personality that lets you somehow let someone who is highly charismatic, who can talk a good game, who can, they they got that gift to gab or they got that charisma or whatever, that you let them get away with some of the most heinous, ridiculous things ever. And it doesn't make a difference what your race is. It doesn't make a difference what your nationality is. A scumbag is a scumbag. And R. Kelly... I don't care if those girls are 25 years old or 35 years old. You're a scumbag. And if you want to make excuses for R. Kelly, you're a scumbag too. I've had it. I'm talking about this fool for 15 years at least, of be- not 20 years really, of being a complete and total terrible human being. Can we not be terrible? Can we not do this anymore? Can we finally hold somebody to account for being a scumbag? Because that's what he is. I don't care how good his music is. Music doesn't give you a free pass to abuse a young black girl. Because unfortunately, as we have found out, they are the group of people that no matter what they do, no one takes their concerns seriously, nobody believes in them, and nobody really wants to have their damn back. And we owe that to the next generation of young black women to stand up for them instead of victim blaming and shaming them and trying to find loopholes to let someone get away with abusing them and mistreating them. Check it out. To hear that entire episode, go back into the archives for episode 45. Cult of Personality. Trust me, it's worth you taking the time. My name is Jay Scott Smith, and coming up after this break... We dive into the sports world, including a year where one particular phrase finally got thrown out the window. That phrase, stick to sports. This is the best of JSC Radio for 2017, and we'll be back after this. What the hell is wrong with you people? Every famous nigga that gets arrested is not Nelson Mandela? Yes, the government conspires to put a lot of innocent black men in jail on fallacious charges, but R. Kelly is not one of those men. We all know that nigga can sing, but what happened to standards? What happened to bare minimums? You a fan of R. Kelly? You want to help R. Kelly? Then get some counseling for R. Kelly. Introduce him to some older women. Hide his camcorder. But don't pretend like the man is a hero. (laughs) 
check, 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 check it out. This is JSC Radio. And stop the damn dancing. Act like you got some goddamn sense, people. Driving has a rhythm all its own. Don't wreck it with a text. Before you get behind the wheel, silence your phone. Or better yet, designate a texter. For more text-free driving tips, visit stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Hey now, what up though? It's Jay Scott Smith here, the host of the People's Podcast, JSC Radio. And you might be wondering why I call it the People's Podcast. Well, I've got a brand new reason for me to call it the People's Podcast because I'm putting the future of this show into your hands. This show is now on Patreon, and what Patreon is, is going to help you, the JSC Radio listener, the JSC Radio follower and fan, contribute to the show in whatever way you see fit. That's right, looking for people to help keep this show moving. Whether you want to donate $1 an episode, hell, $1 a month for $5 per episode. I'll shout you out on this show and you'll even be able to vote on exclusive polls and exclusive half episodes. That's right, JSC exclusives. You'll get to hear those half episodes before anyone else. For $10 or more per episode, now it gets fun because you get to be a sponsor on this show. You got a business, you want me to talk about it, I want you to sponsor my show. For $10, hit me up, send me the script, I'm putting you over. Plus, you get all the other cool stuff that comes with it. For $25 an episode, same thing applies, except this time, you will become an official segment sponsor. Do you want a segment of this show sponsored by your business? Of course you do. That's why you want to hit me up on Patreon. For more information on how to become a sponsor of JSC Radio, go to patreon.com slash JSC Radio. Patreon.com slash JSC Radio, and you can truly help this become the People's Podcast. This is JSC Radio. Something that I would say about, uh, as, as far as a mission statement about why female sexuality or sexually empowered women matters to me is because I really, really firmly believe that this next wave of feminism. We have to have women who are allowed to have their own unique individual sexuality that is not disrespected, you know, that is is not, we don't have respect or things taken from us because we are our own individual sexual beings. And I think on, on the surface when I say stuff like that, it just sounds like, you know, I want to suck all the dick I want and don't want anybody to talk to me about it, right? <laughs> and the most difficult part for me has been hearing I'm not good enough because it's not something that I've, I've ever settled for. I mean, in soccer, it was the same thing. I was told I was too skinny, I was too tall. I played for my dad growing up, and everyone used to say, you're not good enough, you're only getting by because your dad coached you. And I was determined to prove that I was good enough. When I got, at each level I got to, I was determined to get to the next one. And I've never settled, and it's been the same thing with my career. This is the best of JSC Radio for 2017. Welcome back. J. Scott Smith here, hanging on and hanging in with you as we close out a very wild second year. I guess this is technically the first full year of the show because, you know, the show started in March of 2016. But I want to thank each and every one of y'all who've supported the show. Remember, you can find me on the Twitter at J. Scott Smith. 
You can follow the show at JSC Radio. You can also follow me on Instagram at jscottsmith, or you can get at me on Facebook at Real J. Scott Smith. I am verified there as well. And if you want to support the show, I want to thank you for getting on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash JSC Radio. More coming during 2018 on the Patreon page. Would love to get you on board to be able to help this show grow, help it get better equipment, and just plain out help this show truly take off. I want to thank each and every one of you, though, who supported the show top to bottom. Of course, shout out to my man, Doc Yellingsworth who's been the mastermind behind the music here on this show all year long. And this brother has just been amazing. Go check him out at illingsworks.com. Also, shout out to Detroit City. Big ups to a man, Awesome Jones, who's chipped in with some beats as well. And what you heard there coming in were two of the guests we had on the show this year. The first voice you heard was from episode 27. And my friend Jasmine Duke, who I've already noted, will be making her return to the show in a couple of weeks on episode 61. And also what you heard there was Renee Washington from episode 57 when she paid us a visit a few weeks ago. Always looking for new voices on this show as well. And yes, I do skew toward women because, you know, women got a lot of shit to say, especially when it comes to the world of sports. But speaking of the world of sports, that's the thing about this show. It has always been considered a sports show, but I've tended to, you know, as anybody who listened to the show can tell, I'm not fully 100% all sports. Well, episode 50 hit, and at that time, it was peak stick-to-sports guy moment. It was the stick-to-sports guy's reckoning came during the week of episode 50. This was during the whole controversy with Jamel Hill. And ESPN. And all you heard from the zipperhead Neanderthals was stick to sports, stick to sports, stick to sports. Well, episode 50 came along, and I thought, you know what? Let's do something a little different. Instead of coming up with something crazy and grandiose, which I still have planned for, you know, episodes 75 and 100, I figured episode 50 was going to be the rare cold open, and I needed a few minutes to lay out exactly why this show refuses to stick to sports. This is the best of JSC Radio for 2017, and I will not stick to sports. Let's kick it back to episode 50. Sports is a microcosm of society. It's not an escape from it. It's where all of it comes together, and I refuse to stick to sports. These days, it's difficult to be a journalist. It's hard, especially if you're a journalist of color or a woman. It's hard. It's difficult, you understand me. People think this job is easy. We've just seen it over the past 10 days with the two major hurricanes that hit here. Every simpleton who can barely spell his own damn name, every moron who can't tell the difference between your and your, every Dender Mifflin who can't seem to figure out that the word lose is spelled with one O, not two, all of you who love to tell us how to do our job, I politely ask you to shut the hell up. Or, if you think you can do a better job, you go take that microphone and a camera and get your ass out there in the middle of a hurricane. Or get out there and get a question from a coach who really don't feel like talking to you. Or getting a question or getting a quote in from an innocent bystander who's just been through hell. And you can't get back in front of that editor and say, I don't have anything, despite having stood out there and gotten all that footage and had all those people around you, but you didn't have the stones to ask somebody a tough question and risk getting yelled at in front of the world. 
to have people like you sit on their ass on their couch or at their kitchen table and mock us and make fun of us and tell us how to do our job. I take what I do as a journalist with a whole hell of a lot of pride. And I take it personally when people come after us. And I take it personally that people don't even try to understand what we do and what we go through on the daily. It's annoying. It is. And it's especially frustrating these days because we live in a world, especially in this country, that basically, for lack of a better term, is hostile toward minorities, is hostile toward women. That's not an opinion. That's fact. In episode 23 of this series of podcasts I've done, I laid out to you exactly how I felt. It got me in a little bit of trouble. It was a little off-putting to people. I don't apologize for a word that I said, because it's true. And a lot of what I said has started to come to fruition, and then some. We've seen it. And even going back to last year, where I did the episode on Philando Castile, who, by the way, his killer got acquitted. And I did the episode on Orlando with the mass shootings and the vilification of Muslims. When I did the show on how difficult it is to be a black man living in this country, especially when your dad is a police officer, well, was, he retired, how you never will know a moment's rest, how you never will really understand what it's like to have full-on peace in your life because from the day you're born, you're marked as being seen as a threat. You're seen as a threat, you're seen as inferior, and strangely enough, you're seen as somebody who's often superior. And therefore, that leads to you being seen as a threat. And it keeps happening. And it keeps happening and keeps happening. Colin Kaepernick took a knee during a national anthem. And people basically are treating him worse than they treated guys who've actually murdered people. You've got people like Ray Lewis who lied to cover up a murder, lecturing Colin Kaepernick. You've got guys like, you got dudes like Michael Vick who threw his entire career away so he could go make $5,000 fighting dogs like a savage. And got himself locked up. And he's got the nerve to lecture Colin Kaepernick. You've got strung out junkies like Daryl Strawberry lecturing Jamel Hill. And talking about respect the flag. And then you got people who used to have the respect of the black community. Unquestioned. Men like Jim Brown. Jim Brown. Who basically was Mr. Tough Love. Mr. Go Into the Hood and Help Reform Gangs. What happened to that man? But then again, we spent years allowing Jim Brown to basically lecture young black men and what it was like to be men all while he's beating up every woman he's with. These are the people that are basically helping to push this narrative. And then we get into people like Jason Whitlock, who at one point, and it wasn't really that long ago, I'd say about a decade ago, at one point I had a lot of respect for Jason Whitlock because while I did not always agree with what he had to say, I at least could see where he was coming from on certain things. And I could respect, I could get what he was trying to say. But that was a different Jason Whitlock. I don't recognize this clown cake that's running around on Fox now. I don't recognize that guy. That's not the Jason Whitlock I remember hearing show up on the radio in Detroit. That's not the Jason Whitlock I saw on ESPN 10 years ago when he was actually a pretty funny dude. And he was actually kind of creative. And yes, some of the things he said were a little out of bounds, a little awkward. But you, but you could tell. There was, it wasn't this nefarious element of basically trying to denigrate the suffering and the struggle of black and brown people in this country. 
What I said here, that's an opinion. What's not an opinion is that the President of the United States, just about a month ago, had to be prodded into giving a statement after a near race riot took place in Charlottesville, Virginia. And in the process, he equivocated the people who were protesting Nazis and protesting white supremacists, the same counter-protesters who watched one of their own get killed in front of them by a white supremacist. That president of the United States was equating those people with the Nazis. And after being basically forced to have to walk it back two days later, 24 hours after that, he doubles down and says there were good people on the side of the white supremacists. This is not an opinion. This is a fact. It's quantifiable. It's on tape. I'm not sitting here making this allegation that he sided with white supremacists. He literally did it on just about every major network live about a month ago. When someone like Jamel Hill, who I've known for years, full disclosure, we're both from Detroit, both went to Michigan State, we both came into this business, she's a little older, but we both came into this business having the same mindset. When she gets on and tweets, tweets, not even on air, but tweets, those exact words, she gets attacked and told to stick to sports. Well, that's something she gets told to do a lot. Stick to sports, stick to sports, stick to sports. It's funny that I see all these people who send all these terrible tweets to her, all this hate mail. They love dropping racial slurs on her. They love doing all this this foolishness, telling her to stick to sports, stick to sports, stick to sports. No, I won't stick to sports. I refuse. So how exactly does one close out a best of show for a year that was pretty much just a wild mess from start to finish? Considering I just finished up a segment where I explicitly said I will not stick to sports by talking about the biggest damn sports pain in my ass that I've had all year. And you knew there was no way, no damn way, I was going to get through a best of show without laying waste to these Detroit Lions. In the amount of time I've been gone, and as I'm recording this right now, as I expected, the Detroit Lions did what they had to do, and found a way not to make the playoffs. Now, here's the thing. As I'm recording this, Jim Caldwell still has a job, but the Lions have since lost to the Cincinnati Bengals and gotten themselves ziggied for making the playoffs. There's more coming on that on the other side in the next episode. But what we're going to go back to here is my reaction to the Lions completing last year's crash and burn, which saw them start 9-4. and then lose their last three games to, you know, legitimate competition, getting beat by the Giants, Cowboys, Packers, giving up the division and having to back into the playoffs thanks to Washington losing, only for them to then get into the set playoffs and get a gun shoved in their mouth by the Seattle Seahawks. This particular segment was from the very first episode of this year, episode 26, all the way back in January, but it's fitting that it is endured all the way to the end. That's what the Detroit Lions are to so many of us. 
I'm not going to continue on. I'm going to let this close it out. Simply put, from episode 26, where I cleaned out that damn litter box, here I am giving the full postmortem of the Detroit Lions and their god-awful finish to what looked like a promising season. This is the best of JSC Radio while you're also listening to the worst of the city of Detroit. Lions fans really, really piss me off. The only fan base in Southeast Michigan that annoys me more and pisses me off more would be Michigan fans. I'll get to you in a second, too. Would be Michigan fans, except the only difference is I don't actively root for the University of Michigan. I don't have to deal with the University of Michigan's fan base. I got to deal with these Lion fans. And especially over the last few weeks, I've become really ashamed of a lot of Lions fans. Whether it's their blind loyalty to this team and this franchise, which repeatedly and continually slaps you in the face, is condescending to you, disrespects the hell out of you. Whether it's that, or whether you want to stand up and defend the foolishness they do. Or even worse, it's accepting what this team is and saying, hey, we're just happy to be here. The Lions were 9-4. Two games clear of everyone in their division. At one point, just four weeks ago, they were the second seed in the NFC. Meaning, if something silly happened to the Dallas Cowboys and the Lions had taken care of their business, (laughs) guess what? You host the NFC Championship game. You talk about the wettest of dreams to dudes like me who sat through 0-16, who sat through Marty Morninweg and an in-over-his-head Steve Mariucci and Rod Marinelli and Matt Millen, who was sitting in the Pontiac Silverdome. Because that's a funny thing. A lot of you morons love to question my fandom because I don't kiss that franchise's ass. It's not going to happen. I've been going to Lions games since before most of you simps were born. I've been watching the Lions whether I've liked it or not, even if I didn't know what the hell I was watching since the early 1980s. I can vaguely remember Eddie Murray missing that field goal in San Francisco in 1983. So you can miss me with the simp nonsense of, oh, you're not a real fan. How you call yourself a fan? Shut up. What's even sillier is this notion, and you knew I was going to get to him at some point, is this notion that Jim Caldwell is somehow the greatest coach in Lion history and we should just keep quiet, have the faith, and get behind Caldwell because he's the best we've got. Who would you replace him with? I'd replace him with a potted plant. I'd replace him with Josh McDaniels. And yes, McDaniels was a bit of a washout and he wore his welcome out in Denver. Dude won in Denver. He actually won a playoff game in Denver. More than I can say for Jim Caldwell in Detroit. And let's just keep it real. He didn't do a damn thing in Indianapolis. And you know what? I never say things like this. I played football. I know how difficult it is to play, to coach, to be a GM. I totally get that. I could have coached that Colts team to a Super Bowl. 
Oh, well, Jim Caldwell, you just don't understand how, how, how difficult of a job it was. It wasn't that difficult. You got handed, in, in his prime, pre-injury Peyton Manning. You got handed Reggie Wayne. You got handed Marvin Harrison. You got handed Edgerin James. You got handed Dwight Freeney, a really damn good defense. All Jim Caldwell had to do was stand there like he does in the Lions gear and stay the hell out of the way. That's all he needed. He didn't have to do nothing else. So miss me with the Jim Caldwell led a team to the Super Bowl. He led that team to a Super Bowl much in the way Casey Jones got the Boston Celtics to the NBA Finals all those years during the 80s. Let's cut the BS. Jim Caldwell probably should have been fired when everybody else got broomed the hell out of here last year. He's an obnoxious, obstinate, arrogant coach who makes terrible decisions and who has vastly lucked his way into what quote-unquote success, I've heard that word thrown around a lot, success that he's had. He's the greatest coach in Lions history. He's got, he, he, he's got a winning record after three years. So, he's not as bad as Wayne Fonts. You know it's bad when I'm forced to have to defend Wayne Fonts. Now, let's get this out of the way right now. I wasn't the biggest Wayne Fonts guy. I wasn't especially sad to see him fired in 1996 because the Lions had hit a ceiling. They had hit that high water mark for themselves. But if you look at Wayne Fonts and you look at Jim Caldwell and you look at their you look at their trajectory and you look at the comparison between the two as Lions coaches. Wayne was better. The one thing I keep hearing is, oh, the locker room loves Jim Caldwell. They play their hearts out for Caldwell. They love Caldwell. He's changed the culture. Has he? And do they? Yeah, they won 11-5 and five his first year. And that's beginning to look a whole hell of a lot like what 1991 was for Wayne Fonts. Well, the only difference is Fonts went 12-4. and four. The Lions won that division, and they won a playoff game. Those guys played for Wayne Fonts. And yeah, that 91 season, there was a whole lot of whole lot of things happening. Barry Sanders was in his third season and was an absolute monster by this point. Rodney Pete got hurt early in the year. Eric Kramer took over and had a magnificent season. Magnificent. You want to see what a Lions quarterback looks like in a big game? Go on YouTube and dig up the 1991 playoff game. Well, 92, I guess, because of the date. The 1991 playoff game, Lions and Cowboys. And you watch what Eric Kramer does. Eric Kramer did in that one game what people in Detroit seem to think Matthew Stafford does every week. He was unreal. Yeah, they went to D.C. and got their head kicked in in the NFC Championship game. But that was as good a Lions team as you were ever going to see. Ever. Jim Caldwell's best season was his first, 11-5. and five. And they had some pixie dust-filled comebacks in that year, too. That's the high watermark. They were 11-5. and five. What are the next two years? Last year was a disaster. They started 1-7. and seven. Everybody basically got fired. It was time for him to go. But somehow... He brown-nosed his way into staying with this organization, and when they brought in the new GM, Bob Quinn, he was essentially forced to keep Jim Caldwell at gunpoint. They finished 7-9 and nine after the 1-7 start. They actually attempted to make a half-assed push to try to get to 500 and see if they could backdoor their way into the playoffs, and then Aaron Rodgers happened. We all know. I ain't got to pull that clip out again. But 
This year they go 9-7. and seven. Now, I'm not a math major, mind you, but if I do math correctly, that means the Lions over the last two seasons have 16 wins and 16 losses. That's a 500 record. The only reason he's 27-21, and 21, which Lion fans, you would think that this dude was Bill Belichick or Don Shula or Bill Walsh the way they talk about Jim Caldwell. 27-21 and 21 ain't that good. Guys have been fired with 27-21 and 21 records. 27-21, and 21 and they just, just stick their nose up in there. How dare you criticize Caldwell? Can't you see his regular season record? Wayne Fonts had a losing record. Yeah, Wayne Fonts had a losing record because he lost three out of five games as an interim coach in 1988. Wayne Fonts' final record was 67-71. and 71. Not exactly something to write home about, but not terrible. He went 2-3 and three as an interim coach at the end of the 1988 season. You take those two... Two wins and those three losses away, he's a 500 coach. And to date, he would be the only Lions coach post-forward buying the team to have a 500 or better record. Instead, he was 67-71. and 71. In eight full seasons, he had a 500 record. It, it's, it's apples and oranges, basically. Plus, you also take out the playoff record. He's a 500 coach. I'm not saying he was a great coach, but when you look at his body of work, people talk about, oh, look at all the success Caldwell has had. Two winning seasons, two wild card playoff berths, two losses in the playoffs. For Christ's sake, get the statue ready in front of Ford Field for Jim Caldwell. Wayne Fonts, as crazy as it is, as much as people in Detroit make fun of him and laugh at him, he was a bit of a dope at times. Look at that resume. Four of the best seasons in Detroit Lion history came under Wayne Fonts. He had the best single season at 12-4, and four, the lone playoff win, Won two division titles, 1991-1993. They made the playoffs three consecutive years, 1993-94-95. And at that stretch, it was also four times in five years. The Lions made the playoffs six times in the 1990s. Wayne Fonts was responsible for four of them. So before you come in here giving me this Humpty Bumpty about Jim Caldwell being this magnificent coach, let me also get this out the way. If Jim Caldwell were fired tomorrow, who would hire him? Who? I'm not going to do the New Day thing here. Who's going to hire Jim Caldwell? People weren't beating his door down when he left Baltimore to come to Detroit. Jim Caldwell is a mediocre coach at best. He's the type of guy who will get you to maybe 9-7 and seven or 10-6. and six. If everything breaks right and you have the right talent, you might be able to squeeze out an 11-5. and five. What you saw with the, oh, he's the first coach to ever win 14 games. Yeah, again, Casey Jones. That's who comes to mind. If you handed me Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and Robert Parrish and Dennis Johnson <laughs> and, and, and Dave, really? Yeah, I'm going to look pretty good too. You hand me Peyton Manning and Edron James and Reggie Wayne and Dwight Freeney and Adam Vinatieri. Yeah, I'm going to look pretty damn good too. I'm going to win a whole hell of a lot of games too. The second Peyton Manning got hurt, suddenly Caldwell had to coach, and it didn't go very well. And the Colts were smart enough to get his ass out of there. But the Lions aren't. And Lion fans, the fake tough guys that they tend to be at times, and trust me, I know, I deal with enough of them, Lion fans are different from Colt fans because the Lions are happy, or should I say the Lions and Lion fans are just happy to be there. That's what really disgusted me. This team was 9-4. and four. They had a two-game lead in division. They were sitting pretty. 
essentially, if they got one win in three games, they win that division. They get a home playoff game for the first time in more than two decades. You win a division title for the first time in more than two decades. You have a puncher's chance of winning your first playoff game in a quarter century. Instead, they gag down the stretch, crash into the side of a mountain, and then have Aaron Rodgers doing the friggin' two-step all over the 10-yard line before whipping a ball into the end zone for some dude named Geronimo. This is what the hell I deal with. This sort of thing happens. And mind you, it's not like 2011 when they made the playoffs, when they had been god-awful for more than a decade. That's the only year I gave them a mulligan for making the playoffs and getting beat because they hadn't done it in 10 years. They'd been through all the Matt Millen years. They went through 0-16. They went through multiple 2-14 and and 3-13 seasons. I let it slide in 2011 because of the situation. They've made the playoffs twice since. They got jobbed in Dallas a couple of years ago. And I'll give you a quick one second on the whole referee thing. They got jobbed in Dallas two years ago, and then they go to Seattle and get their ass kicked on Saturday. So so understand this. Going from 9-4 and four and a potential two-seed and a bye and a home playoff game in the divisional playoffs to 9-7 and seven and getting your head caved in by the Seattle Seahawks, that's unacceptable. In a whole lot of other markets... Caldwell might be out of a job right now because of that, especially after what happened last year, 27 and 21. He's six over 500. He's a 500 coach since then. I'll take those two seasons at 500 as more of a barometer than one magical 11 and five year where, by the way, they had the exact same result as they did this year. At one point in time in my life, Lion fans Put Wayne Fonts' feet to the fire. Wayne Fonts went 12-4. and four. The following year, they went 5-11, and 11 and they were calling for his damn head. After going 12-4 and four and winning a playoff game the year before, people were calling for his damn head. The Lions ripped off three straight winning seasons, a division title, and three straight playoff appearances. And after every single playoff loss, they were calling for Wayne Fonts' head. The Lions, mind you, who at that point were 40 years past their... We're coming up on 40 years past their last championship. But now I got Lion fans looking at me sideways for daring to call this season a failure. Looking at me like I've got two heads for daring to say that I would have fired Jim Caldwell after tanking down the stretch. I got Lion fans telling me that I'm entitled for daring to demand that Jim Caldwell actually win something that Matthew Stafford actually win a game against a team with a pulse in a big situation. How dare you demand they win a a division championship? How dare you demand that Caldwell win a playoff game? They're 27 and 21 in the regular season. Isn't that good enough? They're nine and seven. They made the playoffs two out of three years. Fonts got them there four out of five and actually got a playoff win. You can't argue playoff win over regular season. There are coaches with sub-500 records who have multiple playoff wins. There are quarterbacks who are god-awful that have multiple playoff victories. But I got to sit here and listen to Detroit Lion fans, and I'm talking about the new booty Lion fans, not not the cats who are 35 and up. The youngster fans, the hipster fans, the millennials who seem to think they know every damn thing, even though they haven't experienced a third of it. 
this this millennial fan base who seems to have no issue with a franchise that puts up banners for making the playoffs, not winning a division title, not winning a conference title, making the playoffs. They need to just run a big yellow participation ribbon up into the Ford Field rafters. Lions fans, you pissed me off. You made me sick. Patting them on the back, getting behind their lazy, whiny ass, who the referees were out to get us. Let me say something briefly about those referees. Look, do the referees make terrible calls in these games? You're you're damn right they do. For God's sake, you heard it earlier. Paul Richardson scores that touchdown. Just that amazing catch. He's His hand is down low, catching this pass with one hand, looking like an outfielder who got a late break on a ball and has to make the little scoop catch just before it hits the ground in the outfield. It was a hell of a catch. The reason why he's making the catch with his left hand is because his right hand is performing the crippler crossface on Nevin Lawson. Face masked right in front of the damn referee. Clear face mask. Should have been offsetting penalties and you replay that fourth down. And who's to say Seattle doesn't just turn right on back around and send Thomas Rawls right up the middle and into the end zone for the touchdown anyway. But, yeah, the refs got that wrong. That's not why the Lions lost the game. The referees aren't out to get you. The league isn't against Detroit trying to stop Detroit. What the hell you think this is? You think this is the NBA from 1991? The NBA in the early 90s didn't like the Pistons because they changed all the damn rules. The Pistons were not well-liked in the NBA 12 years ago because they mastered defense and the NBA had to change up the rules again. That's a league being against you. You want to know what it looks like when the NFL is against the team? Go ask the New England Patriots. And, oh, well, look what we have here. The league basically tried to screw the Patriots 10 ways, 10 ways by Sunday. And what did they do? They kept winning. They suspended Tom Brady for four games over bullshit. Steelers got doing, got caught doing the exact same thing Brady did. Nobody said boo about it. Brady did it. They suspended him four games, chased him two years, damn near went to the U.S. Supreme Court. What happens when Brady comes back to some bitch starts ripping off victories again? The league ain't out to get the Lions. Here, I'll make a compromise. The league ain't out to get the Detroit Lions. The league doesn't respect the Detroit Lions. And guess what? The Lions don't deserve respect. They haven't earned it. And that's another issue. This whole, oh, it's Detroit versus everybody. The referees and everybody's out to get us, man. They're trying to hold us down. Shut up. Grow up. When did my city become so soft? When did the people in my city become such punks? And expecting everything to be handed to them. For God's sake, the Lions tweeted out that stupid video saying, it's not easy and we wouldn't want it any other way. Oh, I think you would, by the way. But when did my city become so soft and so damn sensitive? The referees are going to make terrible calls. Guess what? The good teams overcome the terrible calls. The good teams don't let a terrible call completely submarine everything they're doing. The Lions get a call or two against them and they start to sulking and acting like the babies they are because they didn't get their way and they feel the world's out to get them. I sat here last year and watched my alma mater, Michigan State University, lose a game in Lincoln, Nebraska, after a Nebraska receiver runs out of bounds, then runs back in bounds, catches a touchdown pass. Clear as day. Runs his ass out, runs back in, catches it, touchdown. And what did I hear from Michigan fans? You know, a lot of them who also root for the Detroit Lions. Get over it, Sparty. 
Get over it, Sparty. Maybe if you're not in that position, the referees can't screw you. Get over it, Sparty. Well, you know what I'm going to say to you, Lion fans? Get over it. I'm going to say to you the same thing I said to Michigan fans who won't stop whining about that damn game in Columbus. Get over it. You put yourself in that position. You make your own breaks. You get up and get out of it. That's what Detroit's about. Getting up off its ass and fighting back. Not this whiny, punk ass, oh, they're out to get us. They're taking us down. Uh." If you haven't noticed, I love my city enough to call it out. And I, even though they pissed me off, I will go back to what I said a few weeks ago. I'd give anything to see the Lions in a Super Bowl. I'd prefer that Jim Caldwell not be there when they do it. And they're about to pay Matthew Stafford a crazily stupid amount of money to be their franchise quarterback for the rest of his career, even though he likely won't win a damn thing. I sure as hell want to see this franchise actually do something in my lifetime. I don't want it to be like the Chicago Cubs where an entire lifetime's worth of people comes and goes without ever seeing it happen. But for God's sake, get it together. And Lions fans... As I close this show out, do better. Expect better. Demand more. Nine and seven and just getting in ain't good enough. Especially when you were nine and four and had it on cruise control. Demand more. If you're going to climb up Wayne Fonts' ass after a 10 and six season where you get into the playoffs and lose, I'm not out of bounds for demanding that you climb up Jim Caldwell's for tanking a 9-4 and four start. At least, when the Lions got to 10-6 and six under Wayne Fonts, they'd win seven consecutive games to get there. They were known for making that mad dash, that great finishing kick to the end of the season. These Lions under Caldwell sputter and fall into the damn ocean. I don't want to hear it, Lions fans. Man up. The referees ain't out to get you. The league ain't out to get you. The team just ain't that good. You earn it. You earn it. It won't be handed to you. Go get it and demand more from this damn franchise. I'm here in Philadelphia where all they do is complain about the Eagles and how the Eagles just have treated them so wrong despite the fact they've been to two Super Bowls and they made four conference championship games. That's what I want in Detroit. I want them to demand more. Stop giving me this, oh, well, we used to be bad, so... But 9-7 and seven is so much better. How come you just can't be positive? How come you just can't hope? As I said in the first segment, and as I will close this show now, hope is not a goddamn strategy. You're damn right it's not a goddamn strategy. And I'm going to maintain that it's not a damn strategy. And trust me, when we come back for episode 61, you're going to get plenty more of that goodness because I have to do a postmortem on this team that's going to basically tear off a lot of faces. And it needs to happen, especially if what happens with them along the way actually comes to fruition. Then we're going to have some real fun. Well, I want to thank once again, I want to thank each and every one of y'all who supported this show from start to finish. From January 9th all the way to now, this entire year, episodes 26 to 60. Go back and listen to each one of them if you can. And even if you can't, just take it. Just take your time and go through each one. Trust me, it's worth it. My name is Jay Scott Smith telling you to take care of yourself god bless always there to be different always have your pets spayed or neutered remember adopt don't buy and we are out of here for 2017 i will see you soon with episode 61 until then 
Have a safe and happy new year. And I will see you in 2018. Goodbye, everybody. Check it out. This is JSC Radio. about that five-year-old who found his uncle's gun. The kid didn't know it was loaded. I heard on the news about that 14-year-old girl who was bullied online for like a year. She couldn't take it anymore, so she got her dad's gun from his nightstand. I heard on the news about that guy who broke into someone's house, stole a gun from the hall closet. He accidentally shot his cousin in the head. She killed herself. And later, killed the owner of the store he was trying to rob. If you own a gun, you have a full-time responsibility. When you aren't using it, be sure it can't get into the hands of curious children, troubled teenagers, a thief, or anyone else who might misuse it. Your family, friends, and neighbors are all counting on you. Remember, always lock it up. For more information on firearm storage safety, visit ncpc.org. This message brought to you by the National Crime Prevention Council, the Bureau of Justice Assistance, and the Ad Council.